There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. This is Desiree for F1Weekly.com. I'm your in-depth correspondent. Let's go with the qualifying, Steve. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 970, December 19th, 2022, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say like father, like son. Make at Mercedes F1 feelings and financial assistance for the females. We shall explain gladly. Thank you, Nasser. On tonight's program, Toto gives Schumacher another shot. Ford shows F1 interests and Red Bull. Will the FIA learn from the FIFA corruption dripping with evil? Also, just a reminder, we need your order of the Motorsports Memories 2023 Formula One calendar, crossroads, traffic. I'm telling you, the calendar, you got Hendrix on the other side, a cup of coffee. There's nothing better in America, goddammit. And apparently we also need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab, you know. You'll want to. Nas, welcome to the studio. How are you? I'm doing very good, sir. Thank you. Um, I heard Lionel Messi got uh, lucky in Qatar. He did get lucky. And listen, folks, I like Messi just like the rest of the Argentinians. But, I mean, he took credit for that headshot. And the, the repeat, the camera says he did not touch the peloton. So... I don't know. I, I like him, but and it was a great game. Thank you. Congratulations, of course, to Argentina. They needed this. Uh, I almost called it a Super Bowl, but they needed this World Cup because they've been crying for a long, long time. Yeah, good game. And when your team equalized back-to-back in two minutes, I said, man, Mr. Rogers will be a happy camper next podcast. But luck was not speaking Francais this time. Excusez-moi. Well, I was in a good mood. I mean, I, th- I thought it was a good game, somewhat of a fair game. We all hate the final penalty kicks. You know, it's, that's not happening, but it is what it is after two overtimes, so it's fine. I think they deserved it. I mean, for to get back-to-back World Cup championships, it's not easy-peasy like in Formula One, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, Formula One. It's very easy. You got the right, uh, the right deal. You're going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> okay, sir. Let's get back on track of military racing. Twenty twenty two will be over soon, 
and we are looking forward to the 2023 season. But before we get there today, we have a goodie bag featuring winning the battle, losing the war. Please stay tuned for more motorsports madness. And Mr. Duke of Dijon, as we are very close to the um, 2023 year, if not the season, uh, what are your big hopes and aspirations for, for the coming season? <laughs> I'm hoping, and I know I usually don't get into the British teams, but I'm really hoping Aston Martin's got one whippersnapper of a car. Because with Aston Martin and a good car, and Fernando, where his head is already pretty big, but if he has a good car, I'm telling you, we're going to have one whoop-ass season. Yeah, it should be good. And I don't know why. Um, I've been thinking that maybe McLaren will surprise us this season. Not that they're going to overthrow Max Verstappen or Ferrari, but I think I, I have a feeling, very strong feeling, that uh, Lando Norris will get a win or two this uh, coming season. Don't worry, Nasser. I'll let you sleep through that and wake you up in the morning. Yes, and uh, of course, a lot of expectation and uh, heat on uh, uh, Mr. Oscar Piastri, so that should be uh, interesting. But you know, this thing about Blue Oval getting in bed with uh, Red Bull, that came from nowhere because I remember uh, not too long ago, the head honcho of Ford Motorsports says they have basically no interest in IndyCar racing. They've got the whole agenda wrapped up in motorsports. But it will be good if they will come back because we, we do need more corporate support and it will be fantastic. Do you think this will happen? Wow. I mean, when I saw that small little headline hidden away, I mean, my, I started having heart palpitations. I mean, the history, the DFV motor, Ford, Jackie Stewart. I can see him back in the Ford boardroom telling people what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. I was having flashbacks of Ford. This is a great opportunity for the community in the United States to get down and funky. Yeah, you know, at one time, Cosworth was bought out by Kevin Kalkoven. Um, I'm sure you remember him. And I don't know who the owner is. It was um, Kevin Kalkoven, and there was a guy from Chicago area who had an IndyCar team, Indec racing team, I believe. Um, so I don't know who their uh, owners are today, but if Ford can get back um, with Cosworth and bring back the Ford DFE or Ford HRV, whatever they want to call it now, it will be very nice to have more manufacturers in the world of motor racing. Formula One, that is. But I want to tell you, man, Formula One globally, including the U.S., is on a hot, hot roll. And if you pay any attention to what's going on in IndyCar racing, you know, they're using the same design of cars for the last 10 years. They were going to introduce hybrid engines that has been delayed. And uh, we can all blame Tony George for where they are today. But uh, we want to see all these series, you know. I mean, NASCAR is trying a lot of new things, you know, racing at LA Coliseum. Uh, maybe that what any car should do, maybe do some support races with Barnum and Bailey Circus, bring the sport to more and more people. Now, you know, there's been talk about that Red Bull dynasty will not last 
too long, according to DC. I have to totally disagree with him respectfully. Do you see anybody toppling Max the way he's going? It depends. So DC has these concepts where all of a sudden there are some issues, the team has some issues, the the penalty that they will have to endure for 2023, 10% less aerodynamic testing in the wind tunnel uh, will affect them for sure. I mean, it, it could add up to a lot. So there's that. And then, of course, the Mercedes motivation right now is really through the roof. I mean, Toto, his ticker will not take another losing season. I mean, can you imagine that? No. So they have to solve this. So he, you know, DC is thinking those Germans will get it right. Red Bull will be on the reliability side again, with maybe some fuel delivery issues. And what you have here is chapter number eight. Yeah, that'll be very, very interesting. But, you know, it's amazing. Mercedes, where they were beginning of the season, most of the season, they finally got a win with their new snapper. So let's just hope we have a lot of race wins for a lot of drivers. And as always, may the best man win. And we shall see who would that be. Moving on, sir. Breaking up is hard to do. As we all know, Signor Binotto has left the building. He was at Ferrari for more than 25 years, and if you are at Ferrari for that long, you will enjoy a lot of gelato and also experience quite a few sun-dried tomatoes. According to Mathia Benotto, the most difficult moment of his life at Maranello was when he had to call Sebastian Vettel and tell him, your services are no longer required. He holds Seb in very high esteem, both as a driver and human being. Sebastian won for Ferrari in only his second start for the Scuderia. Unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. As the host will say, he will be leaving behind. Oh, the memories! Thanks for the memories! Of saying things like ring-ding-ding, cucumber on the road, showing the finger, and of course that walk like an Egyptian dance he would do on the podium. We wish him a very happy and productive retirement with his familia. Do you see him coming back to Formula One as an advisor to Red Bull or Ferrari or in some capacity in the next uh, 12 to 24 months? I do see that. After a while with the family, I'm sure he'll have a victory garden. So it'll be interesting. But yeah, he'll miss it. And he's an intelligent man. He actually, I think, has a lot to contribute. That is very true. Very true. He's a smart guy. He has some passion for history. You know, I read a, a story recently that uh, some guy in Texas ran into Sebastian Vettel before the Austin Grand Prix a couple of years ago. And I don't know what the circumstances were. And Sebastian asked him, are you going to attend the Grand Prix? And he says, no, I don't have a ticket. And he says, next day delivery man delivered a couple of tickets to the race courtesy of Sebastian Vettel. So I think he's a very decent human being and uh, nobody's perfect but deep down I think he's a good man. And that's what I used to hear about Michael Schumacher, people who knew him, not people who never met him and passing judgment. So we'll see what happens. I, I think he'll come back. He might show up at Audi, Porsche, Mercedes. There is no shortage of German involvement in racing right now. Unfortunately, no Grand Prix. 
or grosser price, as they call it there in Germany. But uh, we'll see what can be done on that front. Next, American Express presents Membership Has Privileges. Nicholas Hamilton in the Mercedes Simulator. His brother is seven years older and a lucky seven-time world champion. Both uh, Lewis and uh, Nicholas requested Mercedes and their wish was granted for him to spend some time in the Mercedes Simulator, which is, you know, very impressive. Nicholas is also a racing driver and competes in the British Touring Car Series. Who do you think sponsors him? <laughs> Renault. Renault. No, I, I, I think a family member with very deep pockets. But good for him, good for them. You know, Mr. Rogers, every time I hear the words American Express, I think of Miss Hotlegs, Tina Turner, singing Deutsche Marks of Dollars. American Express will do nicely, thank you. Let me loosen up your collar. That's what I call the very best from Nutbush City, Tennessee. And from Tennessee, we go to Germany. And more privileges for the right pedigree. Mick Schumacher has joined Mercedes as a reserve driver. His papa also drove for the team. And as we all know, Formula One is all about being in the right team at the right time. I remember when Sebastian Vettel was winning races and championships one after the other. None other than Lewis Hamilton made a comment, he has the best car. As luck would have it, few years down the road, same thing was being said about LCH. I think if Mick is in a race-winning car, he can be a race-winner like Botas and Barrichello. I also think he's lacking Papa's percolated performance genes, so I do not expect him to be named as the numero uno at a top team. Perhaps he can have a Sahir moment like George Russell and make a statement to the world or the Monza moment that Nick de Vries enjoyed and all of us also enjoyed. That was very impressive. It's all about the package. And sir, here we offer free advice, marketing advice, if anybody is listening. You know DHL is the official logistic partner of Formula One. I think they or UPS or FedEx should sign a long-term deal with Fernando Alonso as the spokesperson because you cannot find a better poster ombre for the slogan, no package, no delivery. Now, Mr. Rogers, I don't know if this company is in business, but this another delivery company, they had the right name, uh, could, could be a sponsor for you-know-who. The company was called TNT. You remember that? Well, they're still in existence in Europe, and they've been purchased by Federal Express. So when you do order through France, and you're getting your signed autograph of pictures of moi and uh, Charles de Gaulle, it'll come TNT, but delivered by Federal Express. So it's awesome. I love TNT. Keep up the good work. There you go. And uh, Nick DeFries uh, gets a number. He will be number 21 in Formula One next season. This number was last used in Formula One by Esteban Gutierrez. Now, he w was a chap who promised a lot in junior series. Then Checo winning two competitive championships in his first three years in Europe. But Esteban ran out of steam against Hulkenberg at Sauber and was shoved out of F1 by Gunther Steiner at Haas. Do you remember the shoving match he had with Gunther Steiner in the pits or in the garage? Yeah, I do. I didn't like it. It was embarrassing. Yes, um, 
Esteban is also at Mercedes doing simulator duties. His family owns a food distribution business in Monterey, Mexico, so he is rolling in dough and dollars. Next, we come to F1 feelings and financial assistance for females. Five teams have been selected for the new all-female series featuring Formula 4 cars and subsidized by Formula 1. The teams are ART from Francia, your Shangri-La, Campos from Spain, Carlin from England, Dutch team MP Motorsport, and the all-conquering Italian Scuderia Prima. There will be 21 races, 3 races per round, and most likely there will be support races to Formula 1 events. As they say in motor racing, if you want to lose 1 million, you start with 2 million. They also say speed costs money, how fast you want to go. I'm sure one fine day there will be a fast-moving and race-winning lady driver. We've had this in rallying, Michel Mouton, and in drag racing, Miss Shirley Mardowney. In the meantime, we will have to just witness and watch and enjoy legends of female racing like Lucy Stroll and Nancy Latifi. <laughs> and that should be very exciting. Mr. Rogers... This series is right up your grid with your passion for hot laps. What say you, how long before we see a competitive Grand Prix girl in all seriousness? In all seriousness? You can't put that on my head, Nasser. No way. Anyway, being serious, everybody, I hate to say this, but there's going to be a new girl in town, and it's Max's sister. Yep. She's going to go into the W Series, and you know what she's going to do, don't you? Kick booty. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be all in the familia, and Josh is going to be one happy camper. Something's wrong with my theory. Yes. Okay, sir. Now, looking ahead to the couple of seasons, the 2023 season will start in Bahrain on March 5. In 2024, the season will start in Saudi Arabia. Aussie mates are hoping Land Down Under will be the season opener in 2025, something which has not happened since 2019. And we all heard the comment, cash is king, on the eve of the 2020 Australian Grand Prix. Sir, I said it when Liberty Media first bought uh, Formula One commercial rights, and I'll say it again. I think what they should do, start the season in Florida in January or February, and end the season in Vegas or Long Beach, California. Season, can you imagine? Formula One starting and ending in USFA. Who would have thought? Yep, and free KFC coupons for everybody. <laughs> Not only that, but instead of a pit stop, we could have a food stop. That would be fantastic. There you go. There you go. That's interesting. Anything else, sir, that's going on in the world of Formula One and catching your uh, attenzione? Not much. I have to admit it's been calm. I mean, there are some funky things out there. My God. And then with the FIFA thing and the corruption and, and Cutter, I hate to say this, folks, but that was a real big disaster. I hope the FIA learn and sort of start drifting away from the evil empire and Darth Vader and going back to regular folk, Belgians, Italianos, French. I don't know, but it's in Americans. We could have four races in America. We got plenty of time, plenty of liquor. So that's my tip. Now, sir, I'm serious. 
I think we should just relax and slow down on this outer boundaries of Formula One. Well, you know, if somebody's paying $45 million and the government in Walloon region is saying, oh, we can only pay $6 million, where do you think a good businessman will go? This is the new world order. And now we, we want to be cool. And I think people should start being nicer to people. Yes. Yes, that's always a good idea. And I'm surprised, you know, and I'm surprised that with all the oil money in Nigeria, uh, Angola, Kazakhstan, uh, that Bernie was not able to uh, grease some palms there because these countries, they're also very high on corruption, as anybody who has done any reading would know. But the biggest problem is there's good corruption and bad corruption. What's a good corruption? The good corruption is the Rat Pack, Sinatra. You got to get out, get a couple of dead bodies taken away, but it's not a big deal. You use a pink Cadillac, you know, it's all tasteful. Yes, very good. So you think Formula One should have Hoffa moments too? Awesome. Those are awesome. We need Hoffa moments. I would like a rumor that Hoffa is buried under the Miami track. That's a good rumor. Very interesting rumor. How about the bus stop at Spa? That's good, but it's cold over there. You know, it's hard to dig in the cold. I think Hoffa, deep down, as a Teamster guy, Miami's a, it's the best. There we go. Okay, sir, um, shall we take a break and come back with our main feature of the evening? That's a really good idea. So why don't we hear from our Sicilian friends with this brief message. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. And now we present our main feature. Today's feature is called Winning the Battle and Losing the War. We will take a look at drivers and team who dominated the season, but the championship slipped away by the banks of the Danube and the harbor of Monaco. And this includes some drivers who won a lot of races, but could not take the crown, which has been known to happen throughout history of Formula One. We shall start with 1982. Alain Prost, Nicky Lauda, Didier Peroni, and John Watson all had two wins each. But Keke Rosberg takes the cake for this season. Against the turbo-powered cars, his naturally aspirated Williams had no chance. 
But thanks to unreliability at Renault and tragedy at Ferrari, the door was open for the original Flying Finn, who was born in Stockholm, Sweden. The 1982 Swiss Grand Prix was held at Dijon Prinois, and Keke came out as the big cheese after the racing laps had been extended. But that's another story for another segment. This was the only win of the season for Keke, and in the parking lot of Caesar's Palace, Vegas, baby, he was crowned as the emperor of Formula One. That race was won by Michele Alboreto in a Tyrrell. Miss Diana Ross was on the podium to sing the blues for the boys. Believe it or not, she had the company of a Julius Caesar lookalike, and you had to check out this podium picture someday. And I just wonder who will appear on the podium and ceremonies next year. And Mr. Rogers, um, I saw a news brief about the race. Basically, the organizers were saying, you know what, the unwashed masses need not even worry about coming here. They're going to have very few tickets. The packages are going for $100,000 and I guess selling like hotcakes. But the most interesting thing was, I believe the race will start at 10 p.m. local time, which is early evening for Las Vegas. Did you get a chance to look at the timing for this race? Yes, it's pretty exciting. It's full on party time. I mean, it's Vegas. People don't understand what they do in Vegas. It stays there for a reason. It's disgusting. It's morose. And it's pure debauchery. So there you go. Formula One is now official. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to give up your interest in Formula One to follow Jerry Falwell? I I could think about that. Gracias. Well, that's what you sound like now. Okay, um, now we go to 1984. The super rat from Austria, that would be Nicky Lauda, took his third and final title in season finale in Estoril, Portugal. In his book, Nicky wrote that no matter what he did, and how fast he got, he just could not beat his teammate, who just happened to be whippersnapper of the day by the name of Monsieur Alain Pross. Pross won season opener in Brazil and won four of the last six races for a total of seven wins. He also suffered from five DNFs. Lauda had five wins and six DNFs. His six podiums in the final seven races gave him his third and final championship. Now, the question is, did somebody say karma? Yes, indeed. If only Jackie X had not red-flagged the 1984 Monaco Grand Prix, it would have given, which would have given an unbelievable victory to another young whippersnapper of the day, Ayrton Senna in a Tolman. Le Professor would have taken his first title that season. Only half points were awarded at the Monaco Grand Prix because of the short distance of the race due to rain. Now we go back in time to 1958. Is that the year of your birth, Mr. Rogers? Yes, sir. Me, Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson, all the good entertainers were born in 58, Nasser. Okay, great. Up until the beginning of the 1958 season, there were several Grand Prix race-winning English drivers, but no GP champion had come from GB. That was going to change in the season finale in Morocco. Drama and suspense in Casablanca, as championship duel was fought between Mike Hawthorne, 
driving for Ferrari and Sterling Moss being faithful to British Racing Green driving for Van Wall. Moss won the season opener in Argentina in a Cooper, then won three more races with Van Wall, including the season finale. Excluding the Indy 500, there were 10 Grand Prix races that season and he retired from five of them. Mike Hawthorne had only one victory in the French Grand Prix, but he was on the podium in seven of ten Grand Prix that season. I'm not saying he did that, but it proved the point. Cruise and collect can also get you the championship. Now we come to 1979, when Jody Schechter was the world champion. The season started with a French flair. Jacques Lafitte and Ligier winning the opening two races. French-Canadian Gilles Villeneuve winning the next two rounds. Very impressive. Then Alan Jones from Australia won three races in a row and would again win in Montreal for Williams. Jody Schechter took his first win of the season in round six in Belgium. He won the next race in Monte Carlo and took his third and final win of the season at, at Monza, which made him first South African driver to become world champion. Jones won four races but had seven DNFs. Jody, on the other hand, had, had only two DNFs and scored points in 12 of the 15 races. Now we come to 1987. During the mid-80s and late-80s, the nicest and winningest people were riding Honda Power. In 1987, the performance package was at Williams Honda. R. Nige, after losing the championship due to a done blowed up the previous year, was on his way to become world champion. Six wins compared to three wins for his teammate Nelson Piquet, unfortunately, were not enough. A bad crash at Suzuka before the race opened the door for Nelson to take his third and final championships. This was very interesting. In, in those days, Mr. Rogers, Nigel Mansell used to write a column for Auto Sport magazine, and I was subscribing to this magazine at that time. And he wrote about being put in a helicopter to be taken to Tokyo. And in his words in the column, he said that while the helicopter was flying over Tokyo skyline, for 10 minutes, the pilot was playing the game, let's spot the hospital. They had some difficulty in finding the hospital. There was drama in Mansell's drive all the time, but Il Leone has left his mark in the world of Formula One, world champion in 1992, and even more importantly, for me at least, that daring gutsy pass on Gerhard Berger's Ferrari in Mexico City, which will live forever in the minds and hearts of Formula One fans. Now we come to 2007. You don't remember this season, and maybe I'll try to remind you what happened there. For me, this was the most intense season since 1988 when McLaren teammates Senna and Prost were at each other's throat. McLaren team had two new drivers. One was a machismo of the moment who had shot down the Red Baron two seasons in a row. The other was a rookie coming into Formula 1 after an impressive championship victory in GP2, or as we like to say, Hapidos, in his first attempt. Alonso won in his second race for McLaren in Malaysia, which was very, very impressive. And his teammate finished on the podium in the first nine races, taking his first victory in Montreal. Both went into the season finale in Sao Paulo, looking to be world champion. 
inch, one of them should have been world champion. But the man who came in from the core took the title, shocking the monkey and the whole McLaren team. And that was Kimi Raikkonen. He had won the season opener in Australia, Australia in his first drive for Ferrari. He did not win again till round eight, the French Grand Prix. But winning three of the last four races and some help from screw-up by McLaren team and driver, in particular LCH, did the trick. Mr. Rogers, my everlasting memory of the season opener from 2007, Kimi Raikkonen won on debut, which was impressive, of course. But uh, if you watched that race, or if you remember, at one time he went off the track a little bit on the grass, and in the post-race interview he was asking if they asked him if there was a problem with the car or steering or tire or something <laughs> and he says no i was just looking at the big screen tv for a moment <laughs> that's uh that is and you know this engineer mark slade who had worked with apparently with alonso and schumacher also and of course with raikkonen uh, he was recently quoted on the web that of all the drivers he worked with Kimi Raikkonen was the absolute most uh, talented driver. Which, you know, if you listen to DC saying about Kimi and also Mika, that they can go fast without even trying. And to get into Formula 1 from Formula Renault with 23 races, it's not for everyone. Any thoughts on anything, sir? Keep up the good work. That was totally bitchin'. Master, let's wrap it up. And when we come back, we will do our famous last words. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Fisichella, and you are listening F1 Weekly. Okay, sir, famous last word. Today, they come from Otmar Safnauer, who used to be team principal at uh, Force India and Pink Panther and then Aston Martin, and then he's now at Alpine. And, man, uh, I don't know what is between him and Zach Brown. They keep making... Uh, negative comments about each other, which is kind of silly. And then uh, Otmar now just can't get over Oscar Piastri also, which I can understand. So he this is Otmar Safnauer and Oscar Piastri, and I quote, saying, Species that are selfish perish. That's true in history, and that might apply to F1 too. Let's see what the future brings. End quote. Sir, anything you want to say? Your Piastri dissed your French team. Would you like to have? You would you like to take a throw a boomerang on Piastri also? For sure. And once again, to quote your buddy Palmer, it's all about karma. I think Piastri handled this in an uncouth style, but that's just moi. And we'll see what happens. A lot of people think. I mean, even people at McLaren think so. Everybody thinks this was a bizarre situation. It should have never come to this, but there you have it. Arrogancy, machismoness starts at the beginning, and sometimes it gets you in trouble, and we know some troublemakers. So, yeah, it's fascinating. We do know some troublemakers? Who could that be? I'm just saying, Nasser, I'm a, I'm a realist. You know, I say it like it is. Gracias. Anyway, yeah, Piastri, we'll see what... Let me put it this way. Piastri, you better kick some effing ass or everybody's going to go, <laughs> sacre bleu. 
Yes, sir, I do agree on that part. Okay, sir, we uh, now come to our musical mondial. And you know, we're international kind of podcast. We're traveling the world. Today we go to your home hometown, Shangri-La, Francia, for a very, very beautiful piece of music. Uh, this is called Martini Dry and was uh, composed by a gentleman by the name of Philippe Sarth. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank you.